um, just a quick, don't be shy about Ephraim chiming in, please. Um, we love the space to be filled with the voices of children. We would love more kids like, like Ephraim here. So don't feel you have to leave because he wants to say something important. Okay. Please. And if he loves talking, that's wonderful. He's learning from his aunt, who's not his biological aunt. And by that I mean me. So thanks, you guys, for being here. I, I want to start with... Sometimes we forget that we, last time we talked about the fact that we forget that we are in bodies. Um, sometimes we forget that we are on an earth, which is beautiful. Um, this week we might have remembered because we were scorching, all of us. We had different degrees of being burnt alive experiences, unless you were one of those fortunate enough to have aircon. And for that, we bless you and hate you all at the same time. <laughs> but what is wonderful that started happening today is clouds started forming. And the first few raindrops fell. And it was ironic because I, you know, Facebook pops up memories every now and again. And I think it was about a memory from three years ago where I said that nothing beats the smell of rain, fresh rain. And I thought, damn it, it's not raining yet. And here we are tonight, and it has started raining, and that fresh smell is amazing. So maybe on top of Din's prayer, let's just close our eyes and say thanks to God for that. Lord God, you are the provider. Even when we do not know what we need, you give it to us. Thank you for the faithfulness of the seasons. In spite of what we have done, what we are doing to the earth, thank you that you remind us of your faithfulness, of your constants. Thank you for clouds, thank you for the first few drops of rain. May they continue. May they wipe off the dust of the earth, of our souls. May they renew the earth and ourselves. We thank you for your grace and your provision. In your name alone, God, our creator and provider. Amen. Okay, so we are in ordinary time, kingdom time. Um, there are quite a few ways you can describe it. And for tonight's topic, um, I wanted to start us off with something that sounds great. It might also make you feel like you are in the wrong kind of church space. You might be in one of those, um, uh, what do we call them, prosperity gospel churches. Because our heading tonight is Kingdom Equals Extravagance. So, what do most of us understand when we hear the word extravagance? You can chime in if you want to. I mean, obviously, Ephraim is chiming in, but he's not really, he's not giving us much. If I think of extravagance, one of the first, and it's ironic because I'm not 
I don't watch R&B a lot, I'm not into that culture, but when I think of extravagance, I think of those music videos where those guys can just flip the notes. You've seen them. They can just flip them without end. What else do you think of when you think of extravagance? Gupta wedding. Oh, <laughs> Pancha. That's a very good one, the Gupta wedding. When everything was gold, I'm sure, even the starters, more <laughs> extravagance. What do you think of when you think of extravagance? Matric farewell. Matric farewell. <laughs> the first extravagant act, boy, and since I was in matric a long, long time ago, it has really become an extravagant event. I mean, you have hair, makeup, photographers, cars. cars. It looks like it's even better than my wedding was. <laughs> Which is not a... Our wedding was great, so... <laughs> but it wasn't that. Okay, so extravagance. What does it make us think of? It makes us think of, it makes us think of opulence and a lot. A lot to throw around if you're not stingy. Or to keep if you are. So if we say the kingdom of God equals extravagance, how do you think that can be interpreted? Abundance. Abundance? And abundance in terms of what? Do you? Uh, Love. Love. Oh, that's such a Christian answer. That's beautiful. I'm trying to not make this sound cool. But like, How do we normally view abundance <coughs> and extravagance? Everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. Yes, fantastic. A lot of money. Thank you for the visual to you. A lot of money, a lot of things to throw around. You've got enough. You've got more than enough. So, when we start like this, how do we get to where we want to be? Which is not this. Hint. I'm, I'm giving you a spoiler, an Easter egg. This is not where we're heading. How do we get there is by talking about the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower, we are going to read from Matthew 13. But, just to be... Uh, oh, listen to the rain, beautiful. Just to be kind, I put in, remember these Gospels are not separated from each other. They might have different accents, but they do have the same content sometimes. The other places where it features is in Mark 4 and Luke 8. But we are going to look at it from Matthew. And just to help those who don't have Bibles on their phones and don't have the Good News translation, I am going to read it from the small little Bible for which I need reading glasses. No, I'm going to try the challenge of reading it in this. 
the NIV, which is all about the parable of the farmer scattering seed. Before we get there, all of us have heard this parable, am I right? Have everybody heard this parable? Has everybody heard this parable? Um, probably more than once. What do you remember about the parable and why the parable is read? What did people, why did people read it to you? What did they want you to, to hear, to listen, to, to understand? good that's one of the things more has anybody ever heard another way of looking at the parable one of the ways I always heard it and maybe you've heard it as well but maybe it's just too far gone in your Sunday school memories but um, they would use the parable to ask a question which kind of ground are you? Are you see? Get out, you're holding out on us. You knew that all along. They would ask a question to say, which kind of ground are you? So it's kind of a warning. Are you the path where the crows come and eat the seed? Are you the shallow ground where it looks like everything is going great until the sun shines and then poof goes the plant? Are you the ground where lots of weeds are? You can fill in what kind of weeds you want, depending on who you're talking to. But then, of course, the, the plant is smothered. Or are you the rich, fertile ground, which obviously all of us were meant to be, the rich, fertile ground. Okay. Um, just one or two pictures, randomly from the internet, but which is very... It's very apt, and it's usually where it ends. Um, with the parable of the sower, of course we know the seed is the word of God, which then that got correct. But then the question is, what type of soil are you? Are you the path? Are you the rocky soil? So maybe there's a little soil, but there's not much. Are you the weedy soil? And then you can go into lots of things about what weeds you have in your soul. Soil, soul. And then, are you the good soil? And the big question, of course, at the end, right before the altar call, is God growing in your heart? Because now you would have sit through this, you sat through this, and you think, ooh, I might not be the good soil. I might have one or two weeds. I might be a little, a little bit rocky. And then with the altar call, you would be able to come and say, no, I want to be good soil. And somebody would hold your hand and pray with you, and you would become the good soil. Another way of looking at it, please, Francia, go on to the next one, is to physically see yourself as a personification of the soil, of what 
So we were talking about what soil does, or what different kinds of soil does to different kinds of fruits, or the, the seed. Now, here, we see the result of the different kinds of soil in a person. So we've got person A who looks a little bit like Corella the bull or some kind of witch, and ironically has crows eating her seed. We've got the person who's got the sun shining and it's beautiful, but there are things blocking the growth of the soil, therefore he looks a little sad because the moment that things get tough, there is no root, there's no strength, okay? Then you've got weed lady, which is not to say she's growing weed or selling weed, but the lady who on the outside might look okay, but the good seed is being overgrown, overrun by other things. Those other things might be a myriad of things, it might even be her own thoughts about herself and self-worth, which in the end makes her look okay, but also not okay. And then of course we've got our, he looks like a boy scout, <laughs> who his heart is full of growing plants, it's beautiful, he's beautiful, he's radiant as the sun, and this is what we all want to be. Okay, so those are the kinds of things that we used to hear, well, I used to hear, and some of us, like Gerard, when he was honest, used to hear, in Sunday school. Now, we're going to read the parable again, and we're going to see if we can find something different, something new. Okay, so this is a, quite a long bit. If you want to follow with me, you're more than welcome. We're going to read from Matthew 13, verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then the ironic thing is right after this, anyone with ears should listen and understand, his disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Clearly not people who are listening and understanding. But then he replies to them that they are permitted to understand the wisdom of the kingdom. Everybody else hears parables for them to interpret as they will. And then he goes on a little bit later 
on the following page. And as he sees that they are not understanding, from verse 18, he says, okay guys, I've given you the parable, I've tried to explain to you why I'm talking in parables, but let's talk again, let's do a little huddle, group huddle. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive, receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have a problem or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60 or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So he tells the parable and then he decides to repeat the meaning of the parable as he often has to do with the disciples. Um, if we think we are slow to understanding, we have a good example in the disciples. They are very, very slow to understand um, in most of the Gospels. What is the most important thing that Jesus comes and does when he talks about these things? He's talking about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out and sows seed. The difference is he sows that seed everywhere. The interesting thing is he decides to use a parable, a story. Why does he do that? In the first instance, I think he does that because he knows us as people. If he were to start with a long and droning sermon, he would have lost most people by the second sentence. Most people would have started dozing off one or two of you might start dozing off in a minute or two. So he chose stories, stories that were relevant to them, stories that they could relate to. So the moment he says there's a sower that is sowing seed, everybody's like, yes, but I know a sower or I am a sower. So he makes it relevant. And that makes it understandable and easy to remember. Okay? Instead of having a very long sermon about the kingdom of God, he gives them the kingdom of God is like a sower sowing seeds. And the wonderful thing is, and Jesus also says this, when his disciples ask him, but why do you use parables? Why don't you just draw us a picture? He says because he wants the meaning of it to be open to interpretation. So it's not going to mean the same thing to everybody who reads it, even to the same person who reads it more than once. You might read it 
and something stands out for you, and the next time you read it, because of the circumstances you're in or the situation, you might hear something different. And the wonderful thing is that's what he allowed for. How wonderful is God's way of speaking to us that he allows for multiple interpretations. So, what we need to figure out is not what is the meaning of the parable forever. We need to figure out what the meaning of the parable is for us here at third place today and in the season we are in. Okay? And that's where we get to extravagance. We can ask the question, if we want to determine the meaning, should we be focusing on the sower? Because there are quite a few characters in this parable. Should we be focusing on the sower? Should we be focusing on the seed? Should we be focusing on the different places that the seed is being sown? What is Jesus trying to teach us about the kingdom of God as third place here where we are now? And the wonderful thing is, especially if we think about where we are now and what we've been talking about a lot. Because what have we been talking about a lot? We've been talking a lot about Jesus and the example he gave us and how we translate that example into our lives. And sometimes it's difficult. Well, most times it's difficult. It's not one of the most easiest things to do. So what I want us to focus on now and for today is on the sower. Because the sower is crazy. Why do I say that? Remember in ancient times, what you, what you sowed was what you had. And that little patch of ground that you, see your, that you sowed your, your seed on, you took care of with your life. Because what came out of that soil was what you had. And of course, remember, taxes, we all love moaning about SARS. But taxes was not something that was new. So now you've got your little crop with which you are supposed to feed your whole family. And then the Jewish priesthood comes and says, but remember, God is the one who gave you the privilege of being able to grow this seed. So in thankfulness, you have to give him this much. So that goes away. Then the Roman government comes and says, but remember, we are the ones who create the peaceful environment in which it is, you are able to grow your seed. So this much needs to come to us. And the reality is that in the end, most of the time those farmers ended up with having just enough to take care of their families for the year. So they might have had an abundant year and they would still end up with only enough to take care of their families for the year. So the little bit, because 
if you don't store away, you're not going to be able to sow next year, obviously. The little bit that you stored away was very, very, very precious. And when it came to sowing time, you would have your little piece of land, and I'm sure this is going to please an OCD person like myself, you would have your little lines that you work out exactly how far apart you're going to plant your seed, you would prepare your soil, because you only had this little bag full of soil, of soil seed, this little handful of seed. And you would place each of those seeds very carefully, water them very carefully, because you want a good yield. Instead, you have this crazy farmer, very crazy, who throws around his seed like there's no tomorrow. He doesn't plan it out, he doesn't do it carefully, he just throws. He throws his seed and he throws it on places where he knows that there might be no yield. The chances of there being yield is almost impossible. And yet, he still does it. What is that supposed to help us understand about the sower? Because if Jesus begins the parable and says the kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out and sows, what does it tell us? That the sower is generous, is extravagant in his love, in his giving. He does not decide, oh, this, this does not look like good ground. That, I don't know, this I don't know. He sows extravagantly everywhere. In other words, he gives every different situation, every different person, the exact same chance with the seed he is sowing. Why? Because every situation, every person, every field deserves the same amount of trust, of grace than any other. How does this help us? We've been talking a lot about helping others, about how do we help others, about living where we are. How does this impossible, because it is impossible, impossible extravagance, what does it teach us? What do we very often do when we think about starting to help? We look at the situation and we evaluate whether this is going to be a good investment or not. Whether we are going to have a good return on investment. Which is not a, it's a very sensible thing to do. It was a very sensible thing to do in those times as well. What does this parable ask us? This parable asks us, are we as the sower was? Are we extravagant? Do we give everyone equal chance? Before we decide 
whether it's a good place to sow or not. Do we sow, and what are we sowing? We're sowing God's word, we're sowing God's love. Do we sow it extravagantly, or do we decide these are the places that it's going to grow, and that's where we sow? Do we decide who deserves to be saved? Do we decide, you look like you're never going to bear fruit, so I'm not even going to waste my time? What does God want to remind us of? He wants us to remind, he wants to remind us to be as extravagant as he is by showing everyone around us grace and mercy, by giving everyone an equal opportunity and God's love. Whether it looks like a rocky road with a witch's nose or whether it looks like a golden boy, all of them deserve the chance. Why? Because God is a God of miracles. And so often, if we were lifted aside and we decided this looks like a road, this doesn't look like good ground, or this looks like shallow ground, God makes the impossible happen. With the sea that we sow and we trust Him with. The interesting thing, of course, is if you look at the disciples, they are actually a good example of shallow ground. Because what happens, they hear the story and they, yes, we love the story, this is amazing. And then just after that they go, but what does it mean exactly? And then Jesus has to explain to them again what this means. That's a very good example of shallow ground. People take to it very quickly. And if you look at the story of the disciples, their story is a story of shallow ground because they get the idea all of the time. And then when it gets to crunch time, every time, what happens? They know where. Best example, when it gets to, even though Jesus tells them at least three times, listen guys, I know you think I'm the Messiah. This is what needs to happen to the Messiah. All of them are like, no, whatever Jesus, you just probably smoked something, we'll get over this. And then when it happens, where are they? They are nowhere to be found. They have fled. But what is the grace of the story? That they do actually, A, listen to Jesus when he says, stay together, pray together, even after all of this has happened, because something miraculous is going to happen. What is the miraculous something that happens? They receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit finally puts the puzzle pieces together. It makes sense of the drawing that Jesus drew them. It's not a Picasso anymore. It's a, oh, this is how the kingdom of God works. And they go on to bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So, just as a little practical example, if Jesus were to say, no, these guys are shallow ground. I need to find other people. Where would we have been today? Nowhere. And that is why I want to show you this last, this last quote. Well, no, before that. So, that is Jesus. Because of his sacrifice, 
because of his all-encompassing love. Because remember, he didn't just die for you and me. He died for all of us, wherever we are, on whatever patch of ground we find ourselves. I, then I want you to go on to, uh, just to get the idea. This is obviously a wonderful hotel situation where somebody's lying in luxury in a bathrobe. No, this is not. This is a slum. And who knows what that guy, whether he's living or dead. But I want us to get to the quotes. You can go to the next one. Because this is important. What Bono says, and what I want us to hear, and I think this is what the parable of the sower is trying to tell us. God is in the slums. God is in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. Which does not sound easy, and it isn't easy. And therefore, two more things before you go to the next. No, don't go to the next one yet, Francia. To live, we must conquer incessantly. We must have the courage to be happy. Courage. This is not something that happens automatically as you jump out of bed. Nothing splendid has ever been achieved except by those who dared to believe that something inside of them was superior to circumstance. And that something inside of us we know through the grace of God is the Holy Spirit. And it is far superior to anything that can happen to us in our lives. So let us live freely, sow freely, wherever we are, whatever we think the result might be. Because the wonderful thing is, the result is not up to us. The prayer is up to us. We sow, we pray. But what happens is up to God. And how wonderful it will be to be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses when we get to God and know that, hey, I sue. I sowed a little seed into your life, and look where you are now. One more thing, there are only two ways to live your life. One as though nothing is a miracle, the other as though everything is a miracle. Albert Einstein was the one who said that. Why do I say it here? Because if we think of everything as a miracle, it empowers us to share and keep on sharing without restraint, without fear, because life is miraculous. And then I want us to end off with, thanks, don't you, you can go to that one, which our founding father, our founding father, said, there is no passion to be found playing small in seeking for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living. And what this, say, what this means to me in our context, especially if we look at the person that we follow, 
the sower, the original sower who started the kingdom of God, is that there is nowhere we can go that he is not with us. There is nowhere that seed should not be planted. And there is nowhere that he cannot do miracles with the seed that we plant. So let us not be afraid. Let us not decide beforehand whether this is a good venture or not. And let us simply sow the seed of the love of the kingdom of God. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus Christ, in your life, in your example, you try to show us over and over again how easy it is to be involved, to be truly present, to give of ourselves and of your love in any and every situation, whether it feels comfortable or not. But Lord, as we do, we intellectualize those instances away. We think about them as far off in a different culture, in a different world, with different people. And yet, the slums might be different, the rejected people might be different, the holier-than-thous might be different, but they are all still here. And the most amazing thing of your grace, sometimes the most confusing weird is that we are here. It would have been so much easier if you were still here. Because you would never hesitate, you would never stray, you would always know what to do and always know what to say. Where we stumble and fall over ourselves, over our words, over our thoughts, over our fears. Lord God, help us to move ever closer to you. Help us discover again the power of being in your presence. And may that empower us when we go out of your presence into the, into the world. So that we live lives, do things that you would have done. Help us to live generous, extravagant lives. Because God, your grace was extravagant with us. If it were not, we would not be here.
open our hearts, our hands, and help us to be as extravagant as you are. We pray this in your name, God our Creator, Jesus Christ our Savior, and the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live extravagantly. Amen.